0: Hey, Crossview family, good to see you. Let's uh, pray. Lord, we acknowledge your presence here. We say we need you. We desperately need you. And so we ask that you, being here among us, would interact with us this morning. You'd interact with each heart here, that you would guide, speak, comfort, lead You'd have your way among us, we ask, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's been lots of talk lately about this thing called revival. Uh, Some of you have heard about this. We've talked about the revival that's been going on in Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, where hearts of college students are becoming more and more awakened to God. Uh, there's a movie out now called Jesus Revolution that many of you have seen and talked to me about. That's all about a revival that took place in the 60s and 70s in our country. Uh, some might be saying, what is this thing revival that you're talking about? What is revival? I'm going to get into a more complex definition later, but it's just kind of what we just sung about. That the Holy Spirit comes and overflows our hearts and wakes us from a spiritual sleep and turns our hearts more closer to him, turns our hearts towards him, causes us to want to live in deeper levels of communion with him and relationship with him, and where the things of God become more and more attracted to us than the things of this world. That's a revival. And so uh, there's been a lot of talk, even outside the Christian church circle. And I think that's really interesting because I think it shows us that the world's getting desperate. and we look at what's happening in the world today, we can see desperation coming all around us. This kind of creates a little tension for me. um, As when I became a Christian uh, at 17 years old, I was brought into this church that was part of what was called the Vineyard Movement. And the Vineyard Movement was an offspin of the Calvary Chapel Movement, which is where the Jesus Revolution happened. And there were a lot of people in the church I attended who were a part of that Jesus Revolution, who saw and experienced that revival, like some of you here in this church have did that, experienced that as well. They were part of this revival, but there's quite a few in leadership of this church that experienced that. And I remember hearing them talk about, God, will you please do this again? There was this talk where they had this desperation where they wanted to see it happen again. And who could blame them? When you experience something really, really powerful like that, it marked them for life and they just kept saying, God, will you do this again? In fact, so much so, the mission statement of the church where I attended was preparing for revival. That was the mission statement. They always had their hearts gazed to God, come and do that again in our country. The tension for me comes in, I came from that upbringing where I'd hear people talk about that. And as the years go by, I realized maybe nine months to a year ago that I'm really comfortable and content living without revival. I can become really, really content with the status quo of God pouring out His Spirit on the church. I can become really, really comfortable and say, God, we can just go through the motions of life. In some ways, we look to God, but not expecting much other than what we see in front of us. And the Lord convicted me of that. Because my main point of this sermon is that revival is on God's heart. And because revival is on God's heart, God's people should seek it out and pray for it. Revival is something that's on God's heart. And it's not enough for God's people to just coast through life so obsessed with our own stuff that we forget his mission and something that's so dear to his heart. Revival's on his heart and therefore it should be on the hearts of his people to be seeking it and praying for it and asking for it. The role of God's children on earth is to carry out the will of our king, to carry out the passions of his heart. But it's so easy for us to be lulled into a spiritual sleep with the surroundings that we have in, where we even just, it doesn't even cross our mind that God would want to move in a powerful way and bring more people far from him closer to him. We are in a series now for the last seven weeks. I can't believe it's been seven weeks on prayer. And God has been good to us in this series. I've Been encouraged by many of your feedback and what God has done. And uh, one of the coolest things is someone came up to me last week and said, You know, this really hasn't been a series on prayer. It's been a series on connecting to God. Yes. That's what prayer is. It's connecting to God. You nailed it. That's what this is all about. And so we see this, and many of us have, even myself, have been experiencing deeper levels of intimacy and communion with God. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. And I thought, What better way? to wrap up our prayer series than to pray for revival, than to ask God to move on something that's on his heart, that he longs for his children to ask for, that he longs for his children to come to him and say, God, will you do this thing? What a great way to wrap this up. So What I want to do this morning is define revival. What is this thing called revival? So we know what we're talking about. Then I want to look in Scripture at some prayers for revival. Then I want to look at where revival has happened in our country in history. And then talk about revival for today. So let's take a peek at what is revival a revival or awakening. Now, there's a lot of confusion of terms around this idea called revival. And I'll be honest with you, uh, putting everything on, on the front uh, table here, it, you're probably still going to be confused when you leave here today with the terms. All right. So just don't worry about it. Just call it revival and you're good. But I do want to give you some history on this because terms are used interchangeably. Uh, awakening, spiritual awakening, revival. Uh, Today, I'm going to give you a peek of what most church historians say uh, and agree on these things. Um, Best way to put it, they would say, our nation as a whole needs a spiritual awakening and the church in America needs revival. That's kind of how church historians would phrase it. Um, There's churches and denominations that have what they call revival, you know, we're gonna have a week of revival, a revival week. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about something extraordinary where God pours out his spirit in such a powerful way that many people who are far from him turn their hearts to him, have a spiritual awakening, and wanna follow him. And many people who are already following him get a passion to follow him all the more deeper. It's a, an extraordinary move of God, it's not something that we create. We as God's people can't create revival, but we can pray for it. So there's confusion about it. Uh, church historians would say this, an awakening is when God decides to move, causing us to see greater levels of power and fruit of the Holy Spirit. This results in many who are far from God being transformed into people of God. So people outside the church who are far from God are awakened And their hearts are turned and they long to follow God. That's what church historians call an awakening. A revival, as they say, was when God decides to move powerfully in his church, causing many in the church to live out deeper levels of conviction, passion, and devotion to God. The call to follow Jesus is seen and not just heard or talk about. You see the evidence of God doing something in his church. People are more passionate, and they're living that out, and we're seeing God do things in people's lives in a powerful way. That's revival. Now, many, many people combine these terms, and they just use the phrase revival. And that's what I'm going to do later in the rest of this sermon. And when I say revival, I mean that God does something amazingly in the church to quicken our hearts, wake us from our spiritual slumber, cause us to follow him more, and he causes his spirit to move. He moves in such a powerful way outside the church that many, many people turn their hearts to him and come closer to him for the first time. So that's kind of the umbrella term of revival that we use interchangeably, but I wanted you to have the terminology as we go forward. It doesn't really matter what we call it. What matters is that we pray for it. What matters is that we hunger for it. What matters is that we look for it and we long for it and we ask for it and we beg for it and we say, God, please, please move. And the greatest way you can indicate know it's here is that there's a shift that moves from our hearts from what I want to what God wants. In revival, we become less and God becomes more and we're transformed by his amazing power. Author and theologian D.A. Carson says this, how soon we forget. While we must never despise the ordinary means of grace that God customarily uses in salvation of men and women, we must not forget those extraordinary times, and that's what we're praying and begging for, when in his mercy God has seemed to come down and pour out his spirit in such transforming power that all of our expectations are reduced to rubble in the sheer glory of the transforming presence of God. I couldn't define revival any better. It's when all of our expectations and all the things that we carry and all the things we want to do are just reduced to rubble compared to the sheer glory and transforming presence of who God is. Where God and his desires and who he is, all of a sudden, are placed on the throne of our hearts and all the things that we've held on the throne of our hearts that are not God are pushed aside, cast down and he takes center stage in our life in a way perhaps we have never experienced before. That's revival. The church is at its best when it's looking for revival. The church is at its best when it's longing for revival. The church is at its best when it's seeking, hoping, and desperate for a revival. That's when we are at our best. Christians are at their best when they're anticipating revival. When it's in front of us and we're longing for it and we're begging for it, we are at our best. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, For if our belief is dominated by the coming again of Jesus or a reawakening to the power of God, there is little room left in our hearts for anxieties or sinful fantasies. We are at our best when we're hoping for and begging God to move in a powerful way. It's good for us to long for revival It's healthy spiritually for us to pray for revival. Revival is something God does by his spirit. We can't manufacture it or make it happen. It's a gift from him. We cannot um, organize revival, but we can agonize for revival. We can have this burden where we ask God, God, will you please move? When we hear of one more mass shooting, when we hear of one more suicide, when we hear of one more marriage that's falling apart, when we hear of one more person trapped by addiction, we say, God, will you move in a powerful way? Because you're the only one who could take care of this mess. Nothing else will do it. Revival is on God's heart and we should seek after him To do it. So, where do we see revival in Scripture? There are multiple places that we see it, especially in the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles 28, 2 Chronicles 29, 2 Chronicles 34, in the book of Acts. We see pockets of revival where God's people are awakened and brought back. Uh, Today, however, since we're talking about prayer, I wanted to focus on two. Prayers for revival that are in the scriptures, and I hope that we would take these prayers and pray them back to God in this day and age today. So the first one is in Psalm 85. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Psalm 85. We're going to look at verses one to seven. Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. If you have a paper Bible, uh, begins with P. Don't let that throw you. And uh, if you have a electronic version, you can turn it on to Psalms 85. And though we're going to look at the first seven verses, I'm going to first read the first three and make comments about it. Psalm 85, the psalmist says this, You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. The psalmist is, saying, is telling and reminding God of all the amazing things God did how God moved in a powerful way in this day and age that he's reflecting upon and expresses that longing back to God. He's saying, God, you are so good and you have been so good to us. That's the heart desire of this psalm is telling God that he is good and that he's been so good to us. Then verses four to seven, he has a prayer and his prayer is intermingled with a lament that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Verse 4, he says, restore us again, or some translations have revive us again. God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger throughout all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. He's pouring out his heart. He's longing for God to move like he did before. Restore us again. Revive us again. Go back to when you brought and you did something amazing where you, uh, you, you forgave our iniquity, you covered our sin, you turned aside your wrath, and there was this goodness, do that again is what he's praying. In verse 7, show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us salvation. When the hearts of human beings taste the unfailing love of God, it ruins them for life on earth. When hearts of human beings taste the unfailing love of the Lord, it ruins them for any other love on earth. Because when we totally know that and grasp it and understand it, our hearts are filled with the love of God and we're revived in his presence and we want everyone else on earth to experience the same. Do it, Lord. Revive our hearts. Restore fellowship again. Move Powerfully. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit does something in the children of God that is so natural. We long for many, many people to know this unfailing love. We long for it not just to stay with us, but we long for it to spread throughout our church, our community, our city, our state, our nation, and the whole world. There's a Holy Spirit cultivating that happens in hearts of believers, that when they taste the love of God, that longs to have the love of God shared throughout the whole world. We see this prayer in another place as well, in a minor prophet book called Habakkuk. You don't have to turn there, I can read it for you. Habakkuk was a minor prophet who longed to see God move powerfully in his day, and he prayed a prayer of revival as well. This is where he starts the prayer revival. It's much like a complaint of lament. Oftentimes, prayers for the revival start with lament. Uh, We talked about lament prayers a couple weeks ago, and Habakkuk does that in chapter 1, verse 2. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you will not listen? He is experiencing unanswered prayer, which we talked about in this series. Or how long should I cry out violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? He's pouring out his heart. Remember we talked about it. He's pouring out his complaint. He's turning to God and he's being real with his hurt and his pain. And he's saying, God, how come this is happening? How come this is where I live? Why don't you do something? And we should be doing the same as we see the desperation of the world we live in. Because as Habakkuk prays and as he pours out his lament, as he pours out his heart towards God. This is where God leads him. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, I've seen what you've done in the past. Do it again in our day here. Turn people's hearts towards you. The message of this same verse says this, God, I've I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. Do among us what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. And as you bring judgment, as you surely must, remember mercy. Mercy. Habakkuk is saying, God, I know how amazing you are. I know how great you are. I know what you can do. I know what you have done. And we as a nation are facing dark and difficult times. Will you please come and revive your people today? That's what he's praying. Do you ever think about revival? Do you ever dream about what it would look like if God came in such a powerful way and radically changed people's lives in the city of Wisconsin Rapids? Where people who don't know God, who are living very, very far from God, who are trapped in things like addiction, trapped in all sorts of things, do you ever dream what it'd be like if God poured out his spirit in such a way where in mass those people turned to him? and had new lives, free from all the garbage that plagues them, basking in the unfailing love of God in a way that it radically transforms who they are, and they want to live and follow him all their days. Do you ever dream about that? See, we can be lulled asleep where we forget that that could even be reality, but that's on God's heart. That's what God longs for, He longs that many, 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 many people come to know him. And in this day and age, in this critical hour of 2023, where we live as Christ followers in this place, he longs for the people of God to carry that vision everywhere they go. He longs for the people of God to know that heartbeat and to live that out in all the places we walk in. That's his heart. Revival's not some empty human wish. Revival is on God's heart. It's his heartbeat. It's what he longs for. And he wants us as his people to look for it, long for it, pray for it, and seek it out. You might say, well, if he's God and all-powerful and all-knowing and creator of the universe and he wants it, why doesn't he just do it? Because when you look at revivals in scripture, and you look at revivals in history, they all have one key element. Revivals must be prayed for. Revivals are brought into existence through prayers in the people of the church. Revivals are brought into existence when God's people are so sick of living in the way of their living that they long to have God come move and they begin to think about it and hope for it and seek it and pray for it. And they say, God, let it start with me. The movie that some of you have seen called Jesus Revolution that looks at one of the revivals in the United States was written, produced by Greg Laurie, who was one of the main characters. Uh, the story was about his life, and he's a pastor, teacher, many of you know him. And he talks in an interview about the movie with a, uh, he talks about how he asked Chuck Smith, who was the main pastor in the movie, who uh, God used to bring about this revival, uh, he remembers asking Chuck Smith right before he passed away, Chuck, do you think we will have a revival again? Do you think God will do it again in the United States? And this was like in the mid-90s, something like that. And Chuck Smith said, you know, I don't think as a country we're desperate enough. I don't think we're desperate enough. Because in the 80s and 90s and 2000, life was good. We had all that we needed. We weren't thinking about a need for revival. We're getting desperate now have you noticed? Things are changing. Desperation is starting to take place. And it's in those places where the people of God need to stand in and start to long and beg and ask God to move in this powerful way. Have we seen revival on earth before? Yes, we have. In fact, God is moving powerful with revivals and awakenings all around our world, even today. Today, there's revivals happening in Korea, south and north. There's revivals happening in Kenya. There's revivals happening in Uganda. There's revivals happening in parts of India. I was on a Zoom call this week with a a pastor in India, and he was telling us that right now in India, right now, 6,000 pastors are in jail and imprisoned, and the only charge they have is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 6,000. That's a third of Wisconsin Rapids. And their charge is preaching the gospel of Jesus. Intense persecution, but he said in the midst of the persecution, God is doing unbelievable things. See, if we seek comfort above God's will, we'll miss it. Sometimes we have to get uncomfortable for the will and the glory of God. And our brothers and sisters all around the world are doing that. The extensive moves of God are taking place. I want to focus on what's happened in the United States in the past Most church historians agree there's been four to six what they would classify moves of God, either awakenings or revivals. The first one that was pretty obvious to them is the first great awakening. It happened in 1734 to 1750. It affected Europe and parts of the New England colonies. Uh, The names associated with this revival were Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and George Whitfield. They preached the gospel. And at this point in history in the United States, church was just kind of a mental exercise or moral duty. You really didn't fall in love with Jesus. You kind of just went to church out of duty. After this revival, there was a heartfelt passion for the things of God and the person of God. And knowing God through things like prayer, knowing God through reading scripture, knowing God through sharing the gospel with other people and saying, you have to experience this unfailing love. The church was awakened to the things of God. Spiritual desire increased and things like crime and vices decreased. God can move today in ways we can't imagine if we ask. The next was a second great awakening. This happened in the early to mid-1800s. Western colonies were affected primarily New York, Ohio, and Kentucky. And this resulted in a huge jump in church attendance in the United States because people longed to know God in deeper ways. They longed to know who he was. It developed a hunger in people to learn about God. And in a 30-year period from 1810 to 1840, church membership in the United States went from 11,000 to 40,000. In a 30-year period, Just like the first great awakening revived the church, the second great awakening revived the country. Many people came to Christ for the first time, surrendering their lives to him. There's amazing stories you can look at. If you just Google one name, Google Timothy Dwight, D-U-W-I-G-H-T, Timothy Dwight. And you look at how God used him, it's amazing. He was the grandson of Jonathan Edwards and he was the president of Yale University in 1795. And as a result, uh, through his prayers and the move of God, there's huge transformation that happened at Yale during that time. The university was an immoral mess. You think it's bad now, it was really bad then. And God did something amazing. God can still do it. No one and nothing and no institution is without hope. The university was completely transformed for Jesus. Revival broke out in 1797 and 1808, and many, many students and faculty became followers of Jesus, and it spread to other universities as well. God can move today in ways that we can't even imagine. Next one, businessman revival or the lunch hour revival. It had two names. It was an amazing revival that started in New York and went beyond. The United States was in a widespread financial panic. Everybody was concerned. They thought they were going to face economic devastation. A businessman named Jeremiah Lamphere began to pray in his lunch hour in New York City and literally it changed the world. He began to pray and he did this in New York, asking for God's divine intervention to come to our country. And what happened in those prayer meetings was absolutely amazing. They started the fall of 1857. So like September, October, 1857. Then by January, 1858. So we're talking what? Four months later, over 6,000 people were attending this prayer meeting. Another five to six thousand were meeting at lunch hours all around in the city of Pittsburgh. There were daily prayer meetings in Washington D.C. by the thousands. They had to move it to different places to accommodate the huge crowds. In May of 1858, New York City, at the time, the total population was 800,000. There were 50,000 new converts to Christ. And this awakening spread across the nation. It went coast to coast. And you know what? It had a profound effect on the state of Wisconsin. State of Wisconsin saw amazing things happen. Many hearts turned to God. God doing amazing things to the point of, this is a newspaper clipping from an Appleton newspaper in 1858. It says, The Grand Revival is becoming a universal thing throughout the Union. All of our exchanges, that means little newspapers, from those ponderous city dailies down to the smallest of county weeklies fill columns to overflowing with accounts of revival and massive religious interest. The excitement spreads from city to city and village to village. We hope it may continue to spread from place to place and from country to country until the whole world is following the narrow path. Let the work go on. Appleton Post Crescent, April 10th, 1858. It happened here. And you can look at that and say, well, that would never happen again. I can't ever picture a newspaper writing that. Well, they said the same thing back then. And the reason they had to put that in there is because it was happening. They had no choice to put it in there. God can move in ways we can't even imagine. Thousands of college students were affected. The heart of revival in Wisconsin was the University of Wisconsin-Madison where many, many people's hearts turned to God. It was one of the strongest places of notice, spiritual awakening in our state. Church services in Wisconsin were packed each Sunday, and eventually this revival went international, and by the mid-1800s, it resulted in over 400,000 people surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. When revival happens, there's a thing historians call social lift. It means that things like Crime rates drop, domestic violence drops, addictions drop, destructive behaviors drop. And we saw that hugely in these revivals. God can move in ways we can't even imagine. The Jesus Revolution, which the movie was about in 1960s and 1970s, started in California, went across the nation. There were so many converts, it was in the thousands, they couldn't keep track anymore. The effects of this revival are still among us today. It's resulted in at least three different denominations that exist now, several churches and ministries, contemporary worship music was birthed from this place, and the movie Jesus Revolution was based off of it. Interestingly enough, when the movie was released, God was moving in a powerful way in Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, where... Thousands and thousands of people came to experience God's presence. Interestingly enough, spiritual awakenings like that happened at Asbury University in 1905, 1908, 1921, 1950, 1958, 1970, 1992, 2006, and now in 2023. And people say, what's so special about Asbury University? They beg and ask God to come all the time. They beg God to come again and do it all the time. God can move in ways we can't even imagine. So could God do this again today? Yes. And we as his people need to pray fervently that he does. But here's the key question. Are we desperate enough If we're putting our trust in other things, like politics and a political candidate to fix our country, which is becoming more and more insane to me if you think that can fix what we're dealing with. If we're putting our trust in science and technology, if we're putting our trust in our finances, we have to place our trust as the people of God squarely in the heart of God. Only he can fix what we're dealing with. And what are we dealing with? I think we are getting more and more desperate because we are much different than the distracted life of the 80s and 2000s. It's amazing how material comforts can lull us to sleep spiritually, but then when the nation shifts, we come alive. As a nation, we are getting more and more and more desperate for God. There's divisions, there's global unrest, there's economic concerns, and mental health is Crashing as we know it. In the United States today, CDC says 57%, 57% of teenage girls in the U.S. persistently feel sad or hopeless. Self-destruction intentions are up 300% since the year 2000 in our nation. In our nation since the year 2000, drug overdoses are up 119%. Anxiety is up 94%, depression is up 82%, and since 2000, the suicide rate has tripled in the United States. In 23 years, tripled. And now one in three teenagers want to end their lives. We are getting more and more desperate. And the last thing the church of Jesus Christ needs to do is get distracted and try to find some other method that the world has to try to fix the problems and blow off the fact that God is there saying, just turn to me and ask me to do it. I'm begging that God moves in a powerful way. And I am committed that Crossview Church will do all we can to bring Jesus to this hopeless situation in our community, in our nation, and beyond. And we don't know totally what we're doing. I'll be honest with you. We're kind of like that prayer of Jehoshaphat back in. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're tuning our hearts to God. When church planters go out to impoverished nations, to underdeveloped countries, and they go to start a church, they realize, okay, the people in this nation don't have food, they don't have clothing, they don't have water. If we just start opening up the Bible and preaching to them, it's not going to do much good unless we address those needs. So they have food programs and health programs and water programs. They do all these things. We have that same situation now, but instead of a lack of food, water, and clothing, it's mental health. We have to, as a church, figure out how we come to the table and help this issue and then bring the gospel of lasting hope to these people. But we have to go through that first part so that they will hear what we have to say. And as a pastor here, I'm committed to saying, God, what does that look like for us? Because we believe you can do an amazing thing beyond what we imagine or think. So, what do we do? As we wrap up this series on prayer, we must pray for revival. We must include this in our prayers. We must look for it. We must beg for it. We must ask God to do it. We must join God's global, worldwide church in praying for revival. And it doesn't mean everything's gonna be fixed right away. In fact, sometimes revival breaks out in places where persecution's at its worst. Let me introduce you to a person who's lived in it. This is your sister. If you're a Christian, this is your sister in Christ, Fahmi. Mi. And Paul talks about how when a sister and brother in Christ is stronger and closer than a physical sibling that we have because of the work of Jesus Christ. So this is our sister, Fami. Mi. She lives in Laos, under extreme persecution and she has a radio as you can see and God has come and changed her heart in such a powerful way that she said she would never ever do this before but she has no other choice but to go and tell people about the love of God and then she gathers them in her house because she says I'm not adequate enough I don't know what to do as far as teaching the Bible and she tunes the radio in to where the Bible being preached in their language and they huddle around with their Bibles and they listen to the teaching and then they pray in June of 2020 They had a group of eight to ten people in her house and the police department surrounded it. Then all of a sudden other villagers came who did not want to follow Christ and surrounded it and said, you should arrest her and put her to death. The standoff lasted for hours. She even had friends come through the back door and say, Fami, you have to give up your faith in Christ. This is crazy. You don't want to do this. You have to renounce him and give all this up. And she said, I can't because he's radically changed my life and it is so real. I can't let it go. She said, I can't leave Jesus. It's like a love I've never, ever known. It totally changed her. She said she hated talking to people. She'd be so filled with social anxieties that she wouldn't talk to people. Now she tells people about Jesus everywhere. He's radically changed me, she said. I'm a totally different person. Her husband, Vat, says that God has widened the heart of my wife, and I see it before my very eyes. Fami has a business she developed where she takes vegetables and she gets a motorbike and she drives out into the villages and she sells these vegetables and what she does is that she's selling vegetables she takes her bible and she reads the bible and sings songs to these people 13 families in 3 months left witchcraft and evil spirit worship and came to follow Jesus Christ and they're meeting in her home in the midst of persecution god is moving Fahmi says, when I worship the evil spirits, I feel fear, worry, rage, and depression. My heart was completely empty. Now I'm full with the love of God. Psalm 85 verse 7, show us your unfailing love, Lord. Grant us salvation. That's what she experienced. An answer to that prayer I put the website up there, vom.org. This is voicethemars.org. They have a monthly magazine that's free. Go on and subscribe to that and read this. Christians in the United States need a perspective change. They need their eyes opened up to what God's doing in the world and what's really, really important. Read this magazine. It's free of charge. Your heart will be widened to the things of God. We have to look to Jesus if we want to see revival. We have to look to Jesus if we want to see our country transformed. We can't put our hope in technology. We can't put our hope in finances. We can't put our hope in the right political party or candidate. We can't put our hope in the willpower of others. Only Jesus Christ can change this nation. We are at that level. R.A. Torrey, who was a person who witnessed revival in the late 1800s and a partner of D.L. Moody, came up with three prescriptions for revival, and I want to wrap up with this. He said, here's what you should do. If you want revival, do these three things. First of all, number one, personally get right with God. If you're here today and you're not right with God, this is the time to do that. Give your heart to Jesus Christ. If you've been trapped by sin, ask forgiveness Come back to God. Let him reawaken your personal life. Someone once said, if you want a revival, what you need to do is go outside and draw a circle on the pavement, step in it and say, God, let revival happen and let it start right here. Let it begin with us. We focus on our hearts and ask God to move powerfully. Second of all, we pray that God moves powerfully in our land. We get on our mind that he can do this and we ask him and beg him and seek him to do it. We started this thing coming out of the prayer series called Crossview Intercessors. If you remember, intercessory prayer is praying not for your own needs, but praying for the needs of someone else or God's hand to move. And we have this group of people we're calling Crossview Intercessors, and we want to see at least 50 people signed up in this group. What is this group? You get an email once a month of things that you promised to pray for. You get a focus of something that you could even fast for. And we ask God to move, and we get on our knees and ask him to change our nation and change our world. We have 36 people signed up. We want to at least have 50. Here's the deal though. I don't want you to sign up if it's going to be one of those things that you get the email in the midst of all the emails, you just hit delete and move on. But if you are, if God is doing something in your heart and you're saying, I want to be part of that, I want to be part of God coming and changing our country, our city, our church, our nation, sign up to be part of our CrossU Intercessory team. There's also going to be times where we get together and pray together, but most of it is looking at the email and dedicating yourself to a few times a month to pray for what's on there. Finally, R.A. Tori says, make yourself available to tell others about him. That's what our sister Fahmi did. She made herself available, and God took that and used that. It's not enough to keep it inside God can meet you in your place of fear. God can meet you in your place of uncomfortability and show you naturally how you can point people to Him. This is, are the, these are the three prescriptions for revival. Cross you, church. Let's dream about revival. Let's talk more about revival. Let's pray for revival when we gather and pray, let there be prayers for revival in those prayer meetings. Let's fast for revival. Let's look for revival. And above all, let's beg God to move again and again and bring revival to our city and our state and our nation in Jesus' name. Let's pray.